And I'd love for you to turn with me to the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 10. And it's in your bulletin, of course, but it don't hurt to look it up in my Bible every once in a while. 1 Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 10. Uh, this is, I'm pretty sure, going to be the last lesson in this set of lessons we've been going over concerning leadership, particularly with David. And as you can see in your bulletin, we're going to be talking about prayer this morning, but I felt a little bit of a nudge today. And I'm going to go in a little bit different direction than I was planning because I feel like God's telling me to affirm some doctrine today. Does everybody love doctrine? Yes. Do you love truth? Yes. Are you glad you know the truth? Yes. And you're convinced that this is it? There's nothing else? This is the Word of God, how you want it to be interpreted? You love truth, right? Yes. All right. Well, if you love truth and you hear it this morning, I hope you help me teach or help me preach. In Jesus' name. First Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 10, it says, Wherefore David blessed the Lord before all the congregation. And David said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Now David is, this is a prayer you see. He's praying in front of all the people right now. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all, and in thine hand is power and might, and in thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. Now therefore, our God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort. For all things come of thee, and of thine own have we given thee. For we are strangers before thee, and sojourners, as were all our fathers, our days on the earth are as a shadow, and there is none abiding. O Lord our God, all this store that we have prepared to build thee in house for thine holy name cometh of thine hand. And is all thine own. I know also, my God, that thou triest the heart and hast pleasure in uprightness. As for me, in the uprightness of mine heart, I have willingly offered all these things. And now I have seen with joy thy people, which are present here to offer willingly unto thee. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, our fathers, keep this forever in the imagination of the thoughts of the heart of thy people, and prepare their heart unto thee. And give unto Solomon, my son, a perfect heart to keep thy commandments, thy testimonies, and thy statutes, and to do all these things, and to build the palace for which I have made provision. We talked just recently about how David desired to build the temple. And he was getting everything in order, and God said, No, you're not going to do it. Your son's going to do it. But in all this prophecy that it was going to be built and in the plan that it was going to be done, David got all the materials together necessary to build it. I'm not going to be the one to build it, but I can provide everything and get everything in order for the prophecy to be fulfilled 
that God has set in place. Amen. And so when he says, where does it say in the scripture? Uh, and all this store in verse 16 that we have prepared to build the in-house, it's all come from you, essentially, is what he said. All this store, this is all the materials. Anything needed to build that place, it's all here. And this prayer is what we're going to dig into and observe today. A couple years ago, actually about a year ago at General Conference, the last night of General Conference is always the service in which the General Superintendent preaches, Brother Bernard. And he was scheduled to preach to everybody on that final night and kind of give some vision and a word for everyone. But as he began his sermon, he requested that his family come up to the platform and lay hands on him and pray before he preached. And it was a moving sight. It was something special to see. And although he had done this before and other superintendents had done this before, it was a little bit different this time because one of his grandchildren stood apart from everybody else on the left. And it was a beautiful picture of this granddaughter, just a little young lady, probably about that tall, laid hands on her granddad and began with her head bowed to intercede, not just to, you could visibly see. This young lady was really, really praying for her granddad before he preached. And it was not only special because it was his grandchild, but because somebody had taken the time to teach this little girl how to pray. Amen. She was prepared, she was sincere, and she was engaged. It wasn't just fun to her. It wasn't a joke or just being on a platform in front of a bunch of people. She was there to pray. And children catch more of what they see exemplified than what they hear. Right. What they see done is most likely what they're going to do and see as acceptable. And so... We ought not be afraid to let our children and our grandchildren see us interceding in the Holy Ghost. We ought not be afraid to have our kids and our grandkids see us make a trip to the prayer room before service, before any service or at prayer meeting. We ought not be afraid for our grandchildren to see us lost in the Spirit Amen. There's nothing wrong with that. As a matter of fact, it's what we want. We want them to see exemplified what it is we're trying to teach. Yes. We can't just talk about it. It's got to be exemplified. Amen. And so we should take time to guide them <coughs> in prayer, encourage them to participate in the service. We, we have kids, even in this church, that get involved in worship. And that's all right. They may not have it all, you know, in place as to what's in order and what's not. But, that, you know, the parents will deal with that. We're just glad they're worshiping. Amen. Yes. Amen. It's got to start somewhere. Yes, it does. And we've got to pass this thing down to somebody. If the Lord tarries is coming. Amen. True Christians strive to be Christ-like. That's one of our goals. We want to be like Jesus in everything that we do. Jesus gives us the ultimate role model 
for what we're supposed to be. That's part of why he walked this earth is because we need a godly example and we look to him for all of that. And pastors, Christian leaders, are set, they're, they're, they're called to set an example for the followers in their church of Jesus' model, the things that he did, because he was manifested in flesh, the Bible says. Yes. Now I'm going to read this verse of Scripture for you, and if you've never heard this, or if it's not marked in your Bible or something, I highly encourage you to do it, because I don't see how anybody can believe the Trinity and read this verse. I have no idea. This is 1 Timothy 3 and 16. It says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. Who was received up into glory? It said God. Now, you know, God is a spirit. God. And he fills the universe. So the only way I can figure that God was received up into glory is if, in fact, he was Jesus, manifest in the flesh, and received when he arose. I don't see any other way you can interpret that verse. Amen. God was manifest in the flesh. Does there anybody in this house still believe that there's one God? Yes, amen. There's not three. There's not two. There's not separate identities. You don't have a panel that we've got to go to in prayer and ask them if they can make a decision together. All you've got to do is call on the name of Jesus. That's right. And you get all power in heaven and earth. Amen. In one name. There's one God. And as God manifested in the flesh, Jesus was fully God and he was fully man. He had all the power of God. He had all the humanity of being a human. He suffered temptations just like you do every day. He had opportunities to sin just like you do every day. He dealt with sickness he dealt with daily struggles of living in this earth because he was fully man. And as a human being, he prayed and exemplified prayer to God. He, he prayed openly in front of his disciples, in front of the people that he was teaching for a reason. He wanted to show them how to pray. And his prayers provide more than just an example for us. They teach us a lesson. Leaders... Disciple makers, Sunday school teachers, saints need to pray regularly and they need to pray fervently. And the people around us need to see it. That's right. Now, we don't pray just for people to see us. That's not the ultimate goal. But if somebody's to think we're a Christian, I hope it's because at some point they see us praying. At some point, they need to see that prayer is a priority in our life. And Jesus' prayers inspired his disciples to beseech him to teach. This is how you pray. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And Jesus responded with what we know as the Lord's Prayer. And it's important here to note two things about prayer. First, 
Jesus prayed in public. And his disciples witnessed his prayer life. It wasn't a question. Jesus prayed. That's right. And second, John the Baptist, who was not the Christ, also taught his disciples to pray. If you're going to be a part of the kingdom of God, you ought to exemplify prayer. Amen. Amen. If you're going to live for God, <coughs> prayer needs to be part of your life. It needs to be at the center of it all. Because we say prayer like it's this deed that we have to do or something like taking out the trash, something that you do daily. But really what it is is talking to God. You talk to God. You want a relationship with God? You got to talk to God. Now men, if you come home from work and you don't talk to your wife, chances are after a while of not talking to your wife, you're probably not going to have a wife. You definitely don't have a relationship with her. Now that works vice versa. But if you want to have a relationship, you've got to have conversation. That's right. And that's why we pray. We want to have conversation with God. So step back today and ask yourself, am I interested... Do I have a desire in myself to talk to God? Maybe that's the first step for you in rejuvenating a prayer life. I've got to have a desire in me to talk to God. Right. And if I've got more desire for other things, maybe I need to get other things out of my life to make room for a desire to talk to God. We've got to have that desire in us. Yes, we do. You don't have a desire to pray? If you try to pray, it's probably not going to be too effective. It'll get to the point where Jesus talked about uh, the uh, Pharisees and Sadducees who repeat vain babblings, the same thing over and over again. You ever hear somebody uh, in church who they are like a broken record in prayer? It's the same thing over and over again. Well, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. I'm not telling you that uh, they're in trouble in that they're just, you know, it's a start to pray. You got to try to pray, but you need to move past just the vain babblings right. and the repetitiveness because in the same way that you got to have a relationship with your spouse and you got to talk to them, if you say the same thing over and over again, they're going to get tired of hearing it. Now, if you go, you know, you go home and, and you tell your wife, your hair looks nice today. Well, that's, that's really good. Now, if you say the same thing for the next 30 years, she's going to be wondering, is there anything about me at all that you like besides my hair? <laughs> we ought to tell God something else besides hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. He wants to know about you. He wants to know what's going on with you. He wants to know really what you think about Him. Be honest with God. He really wants to hear what you have to say. Amen. And so we don't want to be repetitive, but we want to exemplify prayer. Now David, we know that David wrote approximately half of the book of Psalms. 
He's not the only one, but he wrote about half the book. And David believed his God to be worthy of praise, and he desired for others to join with him in exalting the Lord. He said, Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let's, let us exalt his name together. This was the desire of David. This is part of why he prayed and opened. He wanted people to see, if I'm going to be an example to you, I'm exemplifying you need to pray. David's passion for praising and worshiping the Lord motivated him to desire to build this temple. And he felt convicted. You remember we talked about how uh, he wanted to build this palace because the presence of the Lord, the ark of the Lord was in a tent. You remember that? It was out in a tent. And here he is in a palace. And so he wanted to house it well. He wanted it to be in an appropriate place. But God denied David the permission to construct that temple. But God said unto me, Thou shalt not build an house for my name, because thou hast been a man of war and hast shed blood. And so God informed him that his son Solomon was going to build this temple. It's not going to be you. It's going to be your son. And, and David began to get together all the materials that would be necessary. So when he died, Solomon would be able to do it. And David's labor allowed Solomon to construct a magnificent house for the Lord that history would identify as Solomon's temple. Wherefore, David blessed the Lord before all the congregation. And David said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. I want you to note this morning that David's effort for the kingdom of God was great and he did well, even though God refused his desire for involvement. You're not going to be the one to build my house. I'm going to let somebody else do that. But David didn't let that stop him. That's right from working well in the kingdom of God. You may not be the one to sing the special. That don't mean that you can't be used of God. Amen. You might not be the one preaching at the conference. That don't mean you can't be used of God. Right. Find what you can do and do it well for the Lord. And David's prayers and blessings of the Lord and prayer continued. And too many people fail to give their best effort in working for God unless they get to choose the position Come on. that they get Come to be in. Come on. If I don't, if I'm not able to do that, well, maybe it's maybe I'll just hold back. No, 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 no. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt, you can pray. You can be a prayer warrior. God doesn't bar anybody from doing that. You can be used in the gifts. He, can, he tells us, earnestly desire the best gifts. You can be a witness. Amen. Let that testimony that uh, Brother Chris the other night gave just stir you. You can, if anything, be a witness, if nothing else. Right. We know there's things we can do if God doesn't call us to do the biggest thing in the world. You can be involved in the kingdom of God. And so David collected all these materials that would be necessary so that when it was time for this place to be built, everything was ready and set in order. And even though he put all the materials in place, everything was set in order. History does not refer to it as the temple of David and Solomon. 
He refers to it as the temple of Solomon. So he didn't get credit. Not even for bringing the materials in. But that was okay with David. In the kingdom of God, a lot of people get credit for successes made possible by the labors of others. We need to understand this morning that this church is not here just because of us. I like it when I get to hear about some history of the church and people that have went before us because it helps me understand I'm not here just because Brother Ryan did anything. We're not here just because this congregation did anything, but we're standing on the shoulders of men and women, the shoulders of men and women that have worked very hard in the kingdom of God. And they've labored. I love hearing the story about the Gray Brothers coming to this property out here. And what was it the fellow said, Sister Shelton, maybe you could help me out. He said, told, I think he told Tom Gray, well, you, if you'll just mow that and clean it up, you can have it. Or something like that. Different property. And they were looking for property to, to start a tent revival in a church, but he said something like, if y'all just clean it up, I'll let you have the property. But there was some work involved in that. That's right. That there never would have been a congregation. There wouldn't have been souls come in and get the Holy Ghost if somebody hadn't put some work into that. And we didn't do that. Somebody else did. That's right. We need to have some thanks. This Thanksgiving for people that have went before us and have passed it down to us. Aren't you thankful that somebody preached the gospel to you? And preached truth to you? You've got somebody that you can thank for that, and it's not all about us. But at the same time, right now, it is about us carrying this thing on. Yes, it is. Somebody's got to carry it and carry it well. Amen. And preach the same truth. Yes. And don't change it because of the times changing. Don't change it because society's changing. Amen. Hey, we're making improvements around here. We're doing different things. We got some nice lights up here, but we're not changing the doctrine. That's right. We're not changing what we're preaching. We're not changing the Word of God. I still believe in one God. Yes. I still believe you got to have the Holy Ghost. I still believe you ought to live holy. Yes, and we don't change the doctrine. Amen. We don't touch it. We let it be God's. And we preach it according to His Word. And we reach out for people. We may change our method a little bit, but we don't change the substance of the doctrine and truth. It stands alone. Amen. And so they stood upon what David had already done, getting the materials together. And he didn't get credit for it. <coughs> he didn't get credit for that temple. And many people experience someone else getting the credit for their hard work. And they got to remind themselves that if nobody around me knows, God knows. Right. And God is a debtor to no man. And they did not do it to get the credit. And often to understand that and to really grasp it, that requires some quality prayer time. Do you know that you can remove any bad attitude? With good prayer time. Amen. That's right. That's right. A lot of times you can understand your situation better 
just by some quality prayer time. Talk to God about it. He wants to know. He wants to hear from you. He may change your view. He may give you a vision and say you've been worried about the wrong thing entirely. But chances are, if you'll spend some quality prayer time, you'll feel better about that whole thing. You will. In his book, Good to Great, Jim Collins, he was a former faculty member at Stanford University, speaks of high-level leaders of successful companies that transform from being good companies to great companies. And his research consistently identified the leaders of these companies as people with personal humility who kept their egos under control. And these leaders considered the success of the company as paramount and they're getting credit as irrelevant. You may never get the credit for some of the things that you do for God with people around you, but that's okay because it's not our purpose. It's the kingdom's yes. purpose. Amen. Amen. It's his kingdom that we want the advancement. Not personal advancement, but the kingdom advancement. David envisioned the temple, a house built not for the glory of David, but for the glory of God, and viewed his getting credit as immaterial. It's just, it's, it doesn't really matter one way or the other. And so he set Solomon up for success in his stead and supplied a biblical example of a leader who did what he was supposed to do. And as stated in the conclusion of the Lord's Prayer, it was like David was saying, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Not mine is the kingdom, but thine is the kingdom, yeah. and the power, and the glory forever. In his prayer, David portrayed an awareness of God's awesomeness. Now we read, uh, he talked about in, in Psalm chapter 47 and verse 2, for the Lord most high is awesome. Now this is New King James. He is a great king over all the earth. And the lyrics, you ever hear the song, our God is an awesome God, yeah. really comes directly from this scripture. And it's, it echoes David's awareness of the God that he was serving. David proclaim the greatness of God. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and His greatness is unsearchable. And while God's greatness is unsearchable, it's important that we understand the nature of God a little bit. God's attributes, I want you to hear this today, don't just include being great. He's omnipresent. Yes. It means He's present everywhere. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's eternal, which means timeless, and immutable, which means He's unchangeable. That's right. And when you think about these things with God, even in prayer, you look at omniscient, omnipotent. It gives you more faith in the God that you serve. It's not just that He's a great God. You know, you can pray more than God, you're great. You can pray, God, you're omnipotent. God, you're omniscient. Amen. And when the challenges of everyday life become daunting and almost unbearable, we can understand like Paul. He said, for I know in whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. 
Amen. And so on a day where you feel like I can't be everywhere at once, that's okay. God's omnipresent. He is everywhere at once. And on a day where you feel like you don't have any power to deal with what you got, God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. Yes. And on a day when you feel like I don't know enough to deal with this, that's okay. He's omniscient. And when you feel like you don't have enough time in your day, that's okay. He's eternal. And if you feel like the world is changing you and things are changing around you, on, He's unchangeable. Amen. He's everything you need. It helps to understand the nature of the God you serve. And you ought to pray to understand Him better. Yes, We can read about it. And Lord, I hope you do that too. But the best way, the best way to really get to know Him is to talk to Him. Talk to Him. Get to know Him. You'll find out even more than just what's in the Scripture. Put it all together. Amen. In East Africa, speakers often say that preach over there, Mungu Anahua, and they're not getting the Holy Ghost. In a language in East Africa, it literally translates, God knows. God knows. And when they utter that, it means more to those people than just, well, he's, he's, he's all-knowing. You know, That can kind of become a blasé thing to say if you're not careful. But the people over there, they don't have science like we have. They don't have schools like we have. And so when somebody says this God knows everything, it's shocking to them. It changes everything. This ain't just a normal service anymore. We're talking about a God who knows everything. Yeah. Amen. And he's head above all. David knew this and he acknowledged it. He included it in his prayer. And scripture records it for our edification. In his omniscience, God knows all things. And because he's omnipotent, he's got it all in control. I don't know today any kind of reason why you would not serve God with all the attributes that he has. In a chaotic world where we don't know what's coming next, what's coming down the pike, or what's going to be on the news tomorrow, or what the next thing your family member is going to do, I know one thing, God knows all. And he's got it all in control. Yes, he does. And you can go to God in prayer. Amen. Well, that ought to let some faith arise in this house. I'm preaching to somebody this morning. You ought to pray. You ought to pray. Why don't we pray? We want to have a relationship with God so we can make it with Him forever one day. Amen. I heard a message this week from Brother Kenneth Carpenter. He's preaching on hell. And he talked about the only thing worse or better than heaven and the only thing worse than hell. And he, he talked about, well, you know, heaven, you're going to have these pearly gates and a street of gold. You know, you're going to eat at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And it's going to be wonderful. What could be better than that? The only thing better than that is to be up there in the middle of all of it and all of a sudden you hear your daughter's voice. Yeah. Right there with you. And you can say to them, Honey, it paid off. You lived it like I taught you and it paid off. That's better than heaven. But what's the only thing worse than hell? You're down there and there's a fire all around you and you're not being consumed. It's going to be a continual burn. 
and you feel gnashing all over you. The Bible says gnashing of teeth and people cursing and crying out and hollering. And all this time in the middle of all that, it's a free fall because it's a bottomless pit. Right. You're falling the entire time, never finding an end to it. What's the only thing worse than that <coughs> is to turn around and hear your son there with you. Why didn't we live this right? Why didn't we pray? Why didn't you tell me about this? Folks, I'm telling you, we've got to have a prayer life. We've got to have a prayer life. I don't want to end up in that spot. I don't want my kids to end up in that spot. I've got to pray. I've got to make sure I've got a relationship with God and yes. it's exemplified to them. So I don't end up in a place worse than hell, but I do end up in a place that's better than heaven. I want them standing right there next to me. I want you right there next to me. I want us experiencing it all together. I want my family members lined up next to me. I want us to eat from that supper. I mean, you're getting ready for Thanksgiving this week and you think that that's going to be good. Let me tell you something. It does not even compare to what God's going to have prepared. I don't want to be just alone in the people that I know. I want you there with me. Amen. Amen. What's the step toward that? We've got to pray. We've got to pray. David set an example for the people of God by giving generously of his own wealth for the building of the temple. Then the people rejoiced for, they, for that they offered willingly. Everybody say willing. willing. Because with perfect heart they offered willingly to the Lord. And David the king also rejoiced with great joy. Now we already see him praying in front of everybody so people can see it exemplified. But I, I seem to find several spots where David worshipped without anybody worrying about what anybody thought. Ark comes through town. What do we see? We see David worshipping. In this scripture, what do we see? And David the king also rejoiced with great joy. They all see us worshipping too. We've got to have some praise about us. And so they gave unto the Lord. Both riches and honor come of thee, David said. And thou reignest over all. And in thine hand is power and might. And in thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. This is verse 12 of our text. And so he was illustrating in prayer. Serving a great God results in great blessings. And we got to remind ourselves of the origin of the blessings that's in our lives. This Thanksgiving, you ought to look around at some of the things that God's blessed you with and realize the origin of it. Amen. It's not because you work some overtime. Come on. It's because God allowed you to have it. That's right. Hallelujah. That's recognize right. the origin of it. And that's what David was doing. The richest man in the area, the king. And he's telling them, if I've got anything that I'm giving to God right now, it's because it come from him anyway. Amen. And as we contemplate more about God's awesomeness, one way of better comprehending his greatness is from understanding the names of God that's found in Scripture. One Old Testament name of God, Jehovah, appears in several compound forms that you've heard in church before. For example, Jehovah Jireh comes from Abraham's experience on Mount Moriah where he was about ready to slay his son 
at the Lord's command and all of a sudden there was a ram caught in a thicket and now Jehovah is Jehovah Jireh. He provides the answer in the time of need. Jehovah Jireh really means God sees and speaks of God supplying the needs for his people. You ought to study these names of God. It'll give you a better example of just who you're serving today. But unfortunately, some misunderstand the nature of giving to the kingdom of God. Paying tithes and giving of offerings signifies a privilege we enjoy because of God's blessings. The only reason that you're able to give an offering this morning is because God gave you some money that you could give in that offering. That's right. Well, hallelujah. Amen. It's not just, you know, because, well... You know, I got some that I made extra. It's God gave you that much that you had any at all. And now you've got some to give back to Him. Amen. He continues to bless us, enabling us to continue to give. Amen. And what we have still belongs to Him. David's prayer signified that. Oh, Lord our God, all this store. All of this stuff that we have been able to buy and give to prepare to build thee in house for thine holy name cometh of thine hand. It all came from you. <clears throat> yeah, I organized it to try to get it all in order for Solomon to build it, but it all came from you at the beginning and is all thine own. We've got to realize that whatever God blesses us with comes from Him anyway. That's right. It all comes from Him anyway. Amen. If you're able to give a gift at Christmas, it's because God allowed you to do it. However He blesses us, with riches, with honor, with recognition, or just with the strength to carry on, we need to respond with thankfulness to God that He would allow us to be in this place realizing we delight ourselves in the Lord. He gives us the desires of our heart. But I'm going to tell you what Satan does. He desires to deceive you into thinking you cannot afford to give. Right. He wants to get somebody to thinking, I'm kind of low on cash this month or this week, and I can't really afford to give unto God. The truth of it is, you can't afford not to Amen. give to God. It may seem logical you looking at giving as part of just, it's just your normal part of your budget. But you receive more by giving. Yes. I'm going to help you out with something real practical right now. You ready? When you make your budget at the beginning of the month and you got all your bills, you got your birthdays money that you're going to, and Christmas gift money that you're going to use all this different stuff, rainy day money. Before you budget anything else, budget those tithes, but after that, budget your offering. Let it be the first thing, not the last thing. And everything else will fall in order and you'll pay for it. I guarantee you it will. But let that be the first. Show God, Lord, it's really the first fruits right. that I'm setting aside for you. I'm not going to leave behind just the leftovers, but the first fruits. If you read the story of the widow, it may appear she could not afford to give bread to the prophet, but rather she could not afford not to give him bread. 
Jesus taught his disciples, don't worry about food, drink, or clothing, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Your electric bill, your water bill, all these other things will be added unto you. Just put the kingdom first. Amen. Amen. First Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 17. I know also, my God, that thou triest the heart and hast pleasure in uprightness. As for me in the uprightness of mine heart, I have willingly offered all these things. And now I have seen with joy thy people, which are present here to offer willingly unto thee. And a please God, a God who's pleased with your giving is going to give back to you. You can't outgive God. You hear me this morning? You cannot outgive God. You can give today, and I promise you, God will outgive you the next chance He gets. Just try Him and see. Try Him and see. David prays this prayer, and then he prays for the people. The Bible says, Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And David, at the end of this prayer, if you go back and look, he stops praying for everything else and he starts praying for the people. He prays for Solomon and he prays for the people. Social science shows that doing an act of kindness for someone endears that person to you. Because of the fact you've done something to them, given them something, helped them with something, they become endeared to you. And logic says... If you want to get somebody to like you, do a favor for that person. But getting somebody to do a favor for you may actually prove more effective. We might pray, God, help me love you more so I can do more for you. But if we really want to love him more, doing more for him may facilitate our love for him even more. Say, God, you know, just give me that desire and that love for you to do these things that people talk about. And maybe God's saying, if you'll just do what you know you need to do, what I've called you to do, your love for me is going to grow. And he calls us out to do something for him. To give. Our giving to the kingdom of God is not only the indicator of our spiritual wellness, but when we slack off in our giving, hear me today, it indicates that we're lukewarm. I want you to pay attention to your giving. Pay attention not just to your giving and offering, but how you give to God in any way. If you're slacking off on that in some way, it may be a sign of our spiritual state. And maybe, maybe if you give a little bit more in prayer and offering, whatever it is that you choose to do this morning, all of a sudden your faith will grow a little bit and God will help you move into that place that you're wanting to be. I wonder this morning, is there anybody who would like to move up a little bit in God? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? I know that's real general when I say that, but you'd like to move up just a little bit. And God, God's saying, come on up higher. Come on up higher. Come on up higher. But what it takes is a step on our part. Somewhere we got to Take a step. We've got to step up. 
What is that going to be for us today? Where is that at? What can we do? How can we change our prayer? How can we change our giving? What can we do today? David, before everybody exemplified it, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Amen. Not just, not just a common prayer or, or a repeated prayer, but I'm talking about an effectual fervent prayer. That speaks of something a little bit different. To me, that says a prayer that's touching heaven. Yeah. Something that's moving things. And that availeth much. Amen. And so what we got to do today, we have to find ourselves busy in prayer. We got to find ourselves busy looking for what we can do in God. Amen. And I don't know what all exactly that is personally for you, but certainly today, certainly today, before you somewhere, there is a step that you can take and move somewhere else with God. And he's just waiting on the moment for the step that you take. Could we stand this morning? Amen. We got to make prayer the center. It's got to be the center. Amen. And I, I talked about uh, a few Sundays ago how about a year, year and a half ago, we made prayer the subject of everything in this church. And stuff started shifting. There wasn't any doubt about it. Things started moving. Revival started pouring out. And I'm not going to stand here and tell you any different today. Revival starts with prayer. You want a stirring to take place, you let prayer become the center of everything that you do. You carve out a time in your day. You carve out a time in your week and you say, nobody's touching this. You can't take hold of it because this is God's time. And when you make that commitment and when you follow through on it and you take that step up, you're not even prepared for what God's about to do. wonder if you would actually like to see God shift something that there is no doubt in your mind. It had to be God. Anybody got a prayer you've been praying for a long time that if it, if it comes through, there is no question. God did it. Would you like to see that? It can shift in the prayer room. It can shift in prayer right now.